Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Second Peter, Second uh, Peter, uh, one twelve to fifteen will be our will be our passage. Read through our passage and then reflect on it uh, together. Second Peter, verse one, or chapter one, verse twelve. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as though I am, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I am putting off my body, and <clears throat> since that the putting of my off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able uh, at any time to recall these things. Uh, Last words are impactful. They carry weight. Uh, Throughout church history, the last words of influential figures have been recorded. Words that they lived by and words that they died saying. And they carry a particular weight. J. Gresham Machen sent a final telegraph to his friend John Murray before his death that read like this, I am thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. I'm thankful for for Christ's obedience on my behalf, for what he did for me, that he lived in my place. I wouldn't have hope without it. So you'd expect a theologian to have a little theological terms in there uh, in his uh, last words. John Wesley, uh, as he's approaching death, said, The best of all is God with us. He said it three times, and then farewell. Perhaps the best of all, perhaps my favorite, is Catherine, Catherine Von Bora, or Katie Luther, wife of, of reformer Martin Luther, who before she died, said, I will cling to Christ as a burr clings to a coat. Isn't that good? I will cling to Christ as a burr clings to a coat. Powerful reminders of where our hope lies. And Peter also is giving his final words. A final exhortation in the form of a letter. And in this section, he gives us his purpose. Why he's, he's writing. What he's trying to accomplish. And we're going to look at the purpose, but before we, we do, I want to take a minute to kind of reflect on a tra- tricky aspect. Because if these are uh, Peter's last words, if we're going to reflect on him and his purpose, we have to understand, is this Peter writing? And, and we, we addressed this, pa- Pastor Nate addressed this a little bit at the beginning as far as some of the authorship that's debated in, in Second Peter. And one of the reasons for that is many claim that it's, it's a testament it's something that was written by someone else using uh, the teaching of Peter to apply it for a new situation. And the reason they do that, um, a, a large reason, is because of the section that we're looking at this morning. Because several of the elements of a testament are found within this section. And so I just want to have a comparison and see how some of these elements of testament are found throughout this letter. So here's some Testament similarities. Testament similarities. Uh, The speaker knows, sometimes by prophecy, that he is about to die. And we see that in the section we're looking at today. The speaker gathers around him as children 
or a similar audience. And he's writing to a particular audience here. The speaker often impresses on his audience the need for his hearers to remember his teaching and example. And we see that the importance of remembering and being reminded in this section also in chapter 3. And the speaker makes predictions of the future. We see that in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. And the speaker gives moral exhortations. We see this throughout the letter. Uh, We could say specifically, uh, we've seen this with the list of uh, virtues uh, in uh, 5 to 7 of the first chapter. This is coming from uh, Doug Moo um, in his commentary on Jude and and 2 Peter. So we can see uh, several uh, things in in lining up with, if these are indicators of what a testament is, we we can see how uh, somebody might come to that conclusion. Right? But the issue is, as, as Pastor Nate pointed out, that testaments were clearly written by other people in quite a while after their death. And a letter doesn't match that at all. In fact, it's clearly a letter addressed to an audience. So the, the main genre <laughs> is letter. Uh, Doug Moose says this, We can surmise that Peter deliberately chose to write in this literary style as one that was most appropriate for his circumstances facing imminent death, and purposes to warn and exhort his readers. I love this. What we have, in fact, is a biblical author adapting a form of form popular in his own culture and baptizing it in the service of the gospel. So he's taking a, a popular form and kind of adapting it and saying, hey, this is what people are doing. They're, they're writing the Testaments saying, this is important for you to understand. I'm going to going to use some of that myself because this is important for you to understand. And so we can see some similarities, but there's glaring differences. One, Peter is addressing this as himself, and it's written in Peter's time, not many, many years later making it clear where it is. And so this is Peter's last, last words, and he's using this and uh, adopting this style on purpose to press a point home, and what is this point? What is he trying to accomplish? Well, he wants them to remember. He wants them to remember. He wants them to be reminded of the truth. Be reminded of the truth. I intend, what? To remind you. To remind you. Verse 12. Verse 13. I want to stir you up by way of a reminder. Verse 15. I'm doing this. I'm making every effort so that you might recall these things. Throughout this passage, is just a reigning theme of remember, remember, recall. Like, understand what I'm saying to you. And, and, and here's, here's the reality. We, we, we need constant reminders of the truth. I've already told you, or how many times do I have to say it? Have you ever said that to your kids? <laughs> have you ever said that to a friend? Whether we have kids or not, many of us have said things like that or similar. We've had to repeat ourselves because our words weren't being truly heard. There may have been an, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, I got it. But there is no true engagement and our words need to be repeated again. Wives, stop nudging your husbands. 
We understand the importance of reminders. But Peter is emphasizing here the need for repetition in this passage. And we might think, well, is this because they they weren't paying attention? They didn't get this? But no, they did get it. Right? He says, though you know them, in verse 12, and are established in the truth that you have. So they already know it, they are established, and yet they need reminders. They need continual teaching on these things. Uh, Peter is helping them know even the things that they know. (laughs) That's a common theme, not just in this section, but throughout the Bible. Throughout the Old Testament, we see reminders established for the people of God. They're to remember what God has done for them. The victory that God has given. The freedom that He provided. In Exodus 13, 3, they're called to remember the day that God brought them out of Egypt. And we see in Deuteronomy 7, 18, that remembering the truth of God's deliverance should bring confidence in present trouble in present circumstances. And when the people were reminded, when the people were called to remember, it wasn't simply stirring up like a knowledge information that they might have forgotten. They were reflecting on maybe maybe just absentee, they, they didn't understand. No, when the people of God were remembering something like the Exodus, it wasn't just remembering, hey, our parents went through this. But this is a marker of who we are. We were delivered from Egypt. Perhaps even generations later. It was a way for God to remind the people who they were and who they served. And grafting them into a story that was bigger than themselves. Now it wasn't just this one time in history that Your great-great-grandpa was delivered in Exodus. You were delivered. Because I'm your God. Because my people were delivered. And you're part of my people. And so it was a way to situate them in the story of redemption. To remind them of who they truly were. And we need constant reminders of truth today as well. Constant reminders to remind us of who we are, of what our identity is. In fact, reminders are necessary to be established. Peter writes that they're established in the truth. One commentator writes this, Being established was a principal concern of the church as it faced the gale force winds of persecution and doctrinal error. The verb that's used here for being established is often connected with the danger of falling. Two extra-biblical texts of the era say this, when a rich person totters, he is supported by his friends. He is established by his friends, we could say. And another, it is great and wonderful to give strength, not to the things which are standing, but to those which are falling. So the supported in the first sentence and the give strength in the second are both the same word established that Peter uses here. Jesus uses this word in Luke 22, verse 32, when he warns of Peter's denial. 
Throughout the New Testament, the word is associated with those who are in danger of being swayed because of either persecution or error. Matthew Harmon summarizes it well by saying, to be established is to have a firm foundation, enabling oneself to withstand circumstances without being knocked over. And this section is a transitional section of the book. Peter is about to talk to them shortly of false teaching. And he's warning them and desiring for them not to be pulled away into false thinking, and in order for them to be firm and equipped for what they're about to face, they need continual reminders of the truth. By understanding and internalizing what is genuine, they'll be able to stand up to the counterfeits that are all around them. Being reminded of the truth. Understanding, being confirmed in the truth. <clears throat> it's true of what Peter has already told them. Like it says, these qualities, right, a, a term that he also uses in verse 10, right, referring back to the qualities that he's told them, that they have everything they need in Christ, and that they're to grow in these virtues. And so we could say that this linking word right here, either so or therefore in your translations, the start of verse 12, is pulling the whole beginning, uh, specifically verses 3 through 11, on through into this section. What are they supposed to reflect on? What are they supposed to remember? The things that he has told them in verses 3 through 11. That they have everything they need and that they're to grow in these virtues. They have everything they need, and yet they're to grow in these virtues. You see, false teachers can thrive on bringing a secret knowledge that only they have. They can also thrive on providing a convenient truth that sidesteps the call to sanctification in our life. So two ways often that false teachers can thrive. One is, yeah, you've, you've heard this. Your teachers kind of taught you this gospel stuff. They kind of taught you this stuff about Jesus. Let me tell you what you really need to know. And if you keep listening to me, you'll, you'll definitely know what you need to know. You see, you, you go to your... You hear from Peter, you hear from Paul, you hear these different things. Like, they're giving you just the little stuff. You want the stuff that really matters? Stick around and I'll tell you. That's how you're really going to grow in your faith. That's how things will really matter. They don't want to tell you that. They want to hide it from you. But I'll tell you what you need to know. (laughs) That's exactly against what Peter started out as, didn't he? Listen to how he starts the letter. Paul, a servant apostle of Christ, who has obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. I'm writing to those who've attained an equal standing faith with ours. Verse 1. Verse 3. The divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So false teachers love to creep in and say, I have what you need. You won't hear it from them. And Peter's saying, you have what you need. You have everything you need. You don't need a super teacher who's 
up there to come bring this. In fact, you have equal standing with me because of Jesus. It's really important for us to recognize that the most important things are the things that we already know. The most important things are the things that you already know. They're established in the truth. And established in the truth. What, what are they? What is this? Well, the New Testament relates truth to the truth of the gospel. Galatians 2.5 and 2.14. Ephesians 1.13. The message of Christianity is the word of truth. In Ephesians 1.13, 2 Timothy 2.15, James 1.18. The truth is the apostolic message that he is bringing. A message that is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Something that he's going to address in the next section. The truth is a truth that's centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The one who is truth. I say, well, the gospel, Jesus That's that's pretty basic. Yes, it is. But it's also all we need. It's so tempting to try to move on from the first principles of our faith. While we can go deeper in the truths of the gospel, we can never move on from the main things. Our Christian lives have more to do with remembering and applying than learning something new. The most important things are the things we already know. And the tragedy is that we often forget. We're prone to distraction. Because of the fall, we're forgetful of things that matter the most. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, once said this, Every week I preach justification by faith because every week my people forget it. It wasn't a slam on those he's communicating to. It was a necessary reminder for forgetful hearts, his included. How easy is it for us to wander? How easy is it for us to turn away and forget what we know to be true? This was true in his day, a day that recovered something that was lost. People who had lived under the bondage of a system that hid the beauty of the gospel and the grace that was available to them, You'd think that they would remember their freedom. They would remember that they're saved by faith alone. And yet, brothers, like, every week I have to preach this because every week I forget it. I tell you what, his people have more credit than me, personally. Daily, I forget God's grace. It's so prone to wander. Every morning in my In my daily planner, I write, uh, my justification is in Christ, not my performance. And I need that every day. It's in what Jesus has done, not in what I do. How easy it is for us. And this is even the premise of of what Paul is writing to the the book of Galatians. He's saying, you started in the gospel, now you think you can perfect yourself in the works, now you think that you're going to turn to something else. What in the world are you guys thinking? That's my paraphrase, but that's that's what he says. It's so easy, 
So this isn't just uh, Peter saying, hey, you guys have to remember this. This is all throughout the New Testament. It's like the, the writers are saying, remember this. You, you have to gravitate, like, don't follow, don't forget. And it's so interesting, like, how we remember what we already know, it can impact a, a new situation <laughs> so differently. We know we're forgiven in Christ, and yet we sin, we fall short, and immediately we start to doubt the love and and the grace of God. We know we're forgiven, and yet we forget. Peter's saying, you are established. You do know the truth. And as false teachers creep in, as others try to, try to, turn you away from the truth, promising you some things that that you need to know or you need to gravitate towards, perhaps. You have what you need. You've been given it. The most important things are the things that we already know. We forget so often. And yet God is so gracious to give us ways to be reminded, isn't he? Peter, Peter says that this message he is going to keep telling them. You say, well, how is this, how is this going to happen? I'm going to remind you always. I'm going to make every effort after my departure. Like, what's going on here? How is he going to tell them? What's going to happen because it's written down? In the ancient world, to... Uh, a, a document was a continual reminder of the person. You cannot separate them from their words. They could be reminded at any time with the, pr- the truth that Peter was teaching them by re- reading the words, his words to them. It's like a voicemail that a loved one left on their phone before they passed away. That is them. It is their words. It is their message to you. And Peter lives on through his words. The apostolic message is alive and continues to teach us what we need through the words of Scripture. Not only is the Bible the message of the apostles for us today, because it is God-breathed, it is God's word for us today. Not just the apostles' word, but it's God himself. It's his word to us. Like you have in your laps, you have in the pew in front of you, you have at home perhaps multiple copies of God's word to you. We have so much access. Think about the original recipients of this letter. It's not as if they could say, a new scroll showed up. Let's quick take pictures on our phone and take it home. No, it's an oral culture. Like they're, they're, they're reading these things, they're saying these things, and they're, they're, they need to remember them. And how blessed are we to have access? But the truth is, having access can lead to apathy. Having convenient access to the Word of God can create apathy towards the Word of God. We can turn into it anytime we want. So we'll just wait till tomorrow. Think of it as somebody who 
who goes to visit the beach. They go to the, visit the beach and they have three days to see the beach. And so it's cloudy, it's not the nicest day, but I'm going to go to the beach because I'm here for this short time. I don't have much access, so I'm going to take advantage of this time. Somebody who lives by the beach, well, it's not the nicest day. I can go tomorrow, I can go next week, I can go next year. I'm here. It can create an apathy. Accessibility is a great and wonderful blessing. Don't let it lead to apathy when it comes to the Word of God. How many of us would say, well, if we lived on the beach, if we lived there, like we'd be there every day? How much better is the Word of God? If we had the Word of God. The words of the creator of the universe that we have access to. Don't let the comfort or ease of access lead you to apathy when it comes to God's Word. Well, not only are we given the Bible and God's Word, but we're also given the gift of the church. Even if we're apathetic toward our Bible reading, study, or memorization, God has given us a time to meet together where the Word is read and discussed. The weekly gathering of the church is a way that we're reminded of the truth. I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Right now, Peter is reminding you of these qualities through the weekly gathering of the church. God is reminding you of these words through the words of Peter, through the words of me, in this context. What a blessing. Because like, I'm not just going to leave you on your own. I'm going to give you the gift of the church. And how many of us take advantage of that? Recognize that as the gift. There it is. He has also given us ordinances. The ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper to remind us of truth. Baptism is a visible sign of what God has done for us. We have died with Christ and been raised to new life. We're washed clean by the blood of Christ. We're baptized into the church and now are visibly displaying that before the congregation. The Lord's Supper serves as a reminder of what the Lord has done in giving us his body and blood and the cross for our salvation. He was crucified so that we might live. We're going to reflect on that tonight. Two ordinances that God has given us so that we might remember his truth. God didn't leave us alone. He gave us what we need. He gave us what we need to be reminded. Well, not only... Are we called to be reminded of the truth? And I use that intentionally. I did not say remind yourself of the truth, but be reminded of the truth. Because this is something that God is doing for us through, through Scripture, through the church, through the ordinances. But we are also called to remind others of the truth. Remind others of the truth. That's what Peter is doing in this section. I'm wanting to do this. I'm wanting to remind you of this truth. You see, urgency in life leads to focusing on what matters most. He says, I think it's right. As long as I'm in this body, stir you up by way of reminder. Some of your translations in verse 13 might say tent. 
the reason that he wants to stir them up, the reason that he wants to remind them is because his death is coming. It shows how pressing it was for Peter. He's about to die. And, and Jesus foretold a little bit of, about Peter's death, and that's probably what Peter is, is referring to um, here in verse 14. John 21, 18 and 19 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, he's talking to Peter, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was going to die to glorify God. So this may be what Peter's referring to here. He knows that his time is ending, perhaps persecution's rising, and he remembers what the Lord Jesus had said, that he's going to die. That's recorded in, in uh, kind of church tradition that Peter was crucified upside down. So this is uh, Peter saying, hey, this, is, uh, this may be about to, to happen, and as my life is here coming to an end, you need to know this. You need to know this. There's something in life that's creating an urgency, and I want to focus on what you need. And what you need is what you already have. You need to be reminded of this truth. He uses tent in some of your translations to speak of body. That's in verse 13. We need to be careful here and not read more into it than what Peter intended. Some of your translations just say body, kind of simplifying things. Um, Many in church history have read Greek philosophy into the Bible. Um, So following this philosophy, they interpret Peter as having a low view of the body or physical life. Some say that Peter is referring to the body as merely a tent for the soul. Um, Greek philosophy would say, basically, uh, spiritual things good, physical things bad. (laughs) That's gross oversimplification. But they would devalue physical things. And so some would see Peter as doing this. Well, as he, the body's just a tent. It's just this temporary store place for, for the soul. No, the body matters. Peter's simply emphasizing, hey, uh, this life is temporary. I'm going to die soon. Um, but the body matters. We're meant to be embodied people. Right? Uh, body and soul. When we die, yes, we, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. But that's not the end goal. The end goal is new bodies, resurrected bodies, that will enjoy the Lord forever. And so we have to be careful of uh, devaluing uh, the goodness of, um, of our bodies uh, by misunderstanding what, what Peter is getting at here. What's the point? What is he trying to accomplish? Uh, he's wanting to stir them up by reminders, and we stir up others by reminding them. This word is often used of waking someone from a sleep, So Peter is wanting them to wake up to the realities that they already know. To make sure that they're not sleeping on the truth. And this shows us the power of reminders. They do something. They stir us to action. In the previous point, we looked at how God has given us the church. Part of that is our relationships um, within the church matter. The relationships that we have with other believers in the church can serve to remind us of the truth. We're called to lift one another up, stir each other up to love and good works. And one way that happens is by reminding each other of the main things. Do you know that's what happens when we 
sing the truth of God together. Be careful of only thinking that it's you singing to the Lord. Like, that's happening. But you're also reminding people next to you of the truth of God. This morning, I'm standing, my daughter's right next to me, singing about the faithfulness of God. She's singing of the faithfulness of God in that... as long as she can remember, God is faithful. Thing, she's not that old, but that's a, that's a precious reminder to me. The lips of a of my child that God is faithful. I need that reminder. I'm preaching on reminder, and I need a reminder of the faithfulness and the goodness of our God. That's one thing we're doing. That's what happens when we read Scripture during a worship set. That's what happens when we pray during a worship service. It's what happens when we're at small group and share how God's truth impacts how we live. It's what's happening right now in our preschool and kids' blast ministries. Members of the congregation are serving as God's reminders to others of His truth. Do we see the beauty in that? Do we see our role in that? Don't be confused in thinking that coming to church is merely passive. Actively participating in the life of the church and in the worship service is a way that God reminds others of his truth. Other questions that we can ask ourselves, what are we emphasizing? What is most central in our life? How does the way that you live and the words that you speak serve as reminders to those around you? Last week we saw a video of believers in Ukraine singing about the hope that they have. And there was something powerful to listening to those words from believers who are experiencing so much. And this is exactly what Peter is doing by sharing about his coming death. This is going to be happening. Remember These things, it's so important for you to remember these things. How impactful can it be when we're experiencing difficulty, when we're going through uh, hardship, that we ourselves can remind others of the truth that we have? Some of the biggest challenges to my own life spiritually have been those who are going through things I could never imagine, and yet they cling to the hope of Christ. Yeah, there's pain, yeah, there's difficulty. There's hope in the midst of it. It's powerful. It's powerful. We don't approach those seasons. We don't get geared up for those seasons and and simply it happens in the midst of that. No, that's an overflow of a life that's remembering, a life that's grounded in, a life that's established in the truth. So we can stir up others by reminders both in everyday life and when we're experiencing difficulty ourselves. How are we doing with that? What is our life reminding others of? What do we desire most? Do we tire from hearing the good news of Jesus Christ? Here's a temptation. 
Peter is saying the things that you really need to be reminded of are the things that you already know. A bigger task in the Christian life is reflecting and remembering the things we already know instead of learning something we don't know. Learning is great, and I hope we, we learn weekly uh, things about God. But many of the things that we need are to be reminded of what we already know. It can be a form of spiritual sloth to chase after new things all the time and not reflect and remember and meditate on the main things. It can be easier to learn a new truth than to apply what we already know, than to own what we already know. Be careful of that. Be careful of that. There's a restlessness. Uh, Sloth can, can go two ways. It can go avoiding everything, or it can be pressing into everything except the thing that we need most. If you're here this morning and you say, I, I, I don't know Christ, then <laughs> be reminded of these things. I, I have never truly learned what it means to, to be a believer in Jesus Christ, what he has done for me, the way of the Christian life. Well, here's the truth. If, if this is you, you need to be reminded of what you already know. And, and Christians in this room, we're called to remind unbelievers gently, powerfully, really, of what they already know. It might sound strange. Remind people of what they already know. They, they, they don't know, do they? Well, look at Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts and impurity and dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See what Romans 1 is saying there? That everyone knows there's a God. That everyone knows there's a God. So whether you're here this morning, if you trusted in Christ, or if you haven't, you know there is a God. You might deny it. You might run for it. In fact, Romans 1 says you will. But you do know it's true. It's not loving for me to stand here and pretend that you don't know the truth. You know you can't outrun him. (laughs) You know that there is a God. You know that you've sinned against this God and stand guilty before him. 
Maybe you think that because of all that, God is simply angry with you and your decisions. Maybe you think that there's no hope. Well, I want to tell you the good news. The good news that Peter is telling all of us here this morning to remember. Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived as a substitute for sinners. He took God's wrath in the place of all who repent and believe. He stands ready to forgive all who come to Him. Run to Him. He is sufficient for all you need. Run to Him and spend the rest of your life remembering and reflecting on His abundant mercy toward you. You're here this morning and do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Know Him this morning. Continue to reflect and remember the good things that He has done. Be established in the truth. Jesus is the truth. We started with some of the last words that people had had said before they died. Well, one of the last things that Jesus said before He died is, It is finished. It is finished. In the midst of a people who are tempted to be brought away to new teaching, to doubt that they have what they need, Jesus says, it is finished. He accomplished it. He did everything that was needed. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, He has done everything that is needed for you if you turn and trust in Him. Don't leave here without that. That the Christian life is one of remembering the goodness of our God. Don't have your knowledge simply be that God exists and you're guilty before Him. But run to that God. And if you have, run to that God and you're saying, I, I have, and yet I know, if I'm honest with, with you, like I continually forget, I continue, like I need these reminders. He has given us these reminders in His grace. But, but here's, here's the beauty. Because there's something else that took place in the cross. There's a sinner on the cross who said, Jesus, remember me. And you know what? Jesus remembered him. We are forgetful people. But our God does not forget his people. No one can snatch us out of his hand. We are secure in Jesus. That's an amazing truth. Let's leave reflecting and remembering the salvation that we have in Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that you give us passages like this, uh, a transitional passage here in the book of Second Peter that gives us so much truth that we're called to remember that we're called to reflect. And Father, as that happens, as you remind us, Father, you stir us up. You change us. Change us this week as we reflect and remember you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.